Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sweet and Sour Podcast brought to you by Britt and Mitch. Today we're going to talk about mindfulness. This will be one of our first of probably many episodes on mindfulness. And we'll begin by talking a little bit about what mindfulness is to each of us. We'll dive in a little bit deeper about the experiences we've had with mindfulness. And then we'll even cover some ways that you guys can potentially practice mindfulness uh, in your everyday life. So starting us off, I think I can for sure say that mindfulness is really just all about awareness. What you are recognizing the awareness that you have and kind of where that attention is going. I think a lot of times now uh, in civilized life, we kind of are constantly, our attention is being grabbed right and left by our phones, by our laptops, by our engagements with others. And, you know, your mind is what you carry around with you every day. So it's important that you're able to know where its awareness and its attention is going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a really great answer. I think mindfulness for me has really been about paying attention, I would say. And I feel like I'm still there. You know, I, even right now, as we talk to each other and are starting this episode, I had to like sit down and pay attention to how am I feeling? I worked remotely from home today, right in the midst of kind of all of the gray area that's coming with where we're at as a, right, just as a community with COVID-19. It's like, I got off this kind of serious call and we're sitting down to talk and I even find myself saying, saying, okay, like I need to pay attention to how I'm feeling and, and what I'm thinking and then how are the thoughts that I'm thinking affecting like how I feel and how I'm communicating with you and the dog. So I think for me, mindfulness is about paying attention, but then also not just paying attention, but then also learning how to recognize what it is you're seeing, mm-hmm. right? So. I think it's important, obviously, right, to be, like, when people are like, oh, be mindful. Yes, be mindful of how you're feeling or be mindful of the thoughts that are kind of popping up in, in your brain. But but what then, right? That I feel like for me that big piece is, okay, I know that I'm thinking this thing or that I'm feeling this thing, but how do I recognize what it is that I'm feeling or th- seeing or thinking in my head in a way that's constructive and that I can actually do something with it? Yeah. So when it comes to mindfulness, uh, where did you begin your mindfulness journey? Um, I've experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And for those that are listening, <laughs> I mean, you might be able to tell I've experienced some kind of trauma. Man, based on um, conversations with me, if I've shared it, but I've experienced trauma. I've experienced some trauma. And I would say my most, man, I feel like if I'm being honest, being asked that, when did your start with mindfulness start? I, I want to say, oh, it started a long time ago because I think I've always struggled with how I, f- how I feel or sometimes how yeah. I'm able to articulate my feelings. And so I, th- I think there's a part of me that wants to say, oh, I've been, I've been working with mindfulness for a long time. But I think the actual practice of being mindful and approaching that as something that I'm intentionally practicing, I would say within the last year. Um, I read a book by Sam Harris called Waking Up that you also have read, and 
it kind of just opened up to me the science that goes into being mindful and also the science that goes into the difficulties of being mindful. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, I felt like gave me a voice and this idea and in this community of wellness and we close our eyes and we meditate, we go to a place of peace. Reading that book just showed me that there was space for people like me who struggle with mindfulness, but also have experienced some physical um, trauma that, hey, there's a reason why this is important and there's also a reason why it may be harder for you to get there. Mm -hmm. So reading that book, and that was about a year and some change ago where I um, really started to pay attention to the practice of mindfulness and then other practices that accompany that. What about you? I would say also with Sam Harris, yeah. He was the first person I'd kind of come across when it came to mindfulness. I tried other things, you know, previously and maybe other applications. Uh, and, you know, try and remain unbiased. Whatever works for you is what works for you. But I felt like what I would perceive to be likely many other people, that when you started out trying to do mindfulness or maybe incorporating mindfulness into movement, which I think, you know, is fair to say that that's kind of the point of, of yoga. And when I got into it before reading Waking Up or before trying the Waking Up app from Sam Harris, it was a little bit more of, well, I just feel like I'm kind of sitting here with my eyes closed. I don't really know what's going on. It kind of seems, it's kind of seems pointless. Mm -hmm. And only when I went through his book, because I am a lover of science, was I really able to kind of dive in and learn a little bit more about what mindfulness really is. And I think his take on it was interesting just from his background of being a neuroscientist and being someone that's gone through quite intense, uh, I guess you might call it traditional practices, um, being trained by different uh, leaders in the uh, Buddhist community, I think Tibetan um, Buddhist community specifically. But you know, he's gone on long retreats and he's written this book. But as far as a timeline goes for when I started, uh, it's been on and off, but having gone through the practice, at least having some guidance uh, and really having felt differences from the mindfulness would be maybe in the past four years or so. But I think what really made me stick around with it from having first experienced some type of mindfulness maybe in like middle school or high school as far as, hey, let's all close our eyes and relax and breathe, to really adopting it as something that I think is important and I now try and do in everyday life, whether it's formal or informal practice, was kind of the realization that there is no necessarily a goal behind it, mm -hmm. right? Like if you feel peaceful or you feel calm or you feel happy or you feel joyful the point is that you're aware of those mm -hmm. when they're showing up they're just showing up in the contents they're just contents of consciousness at that point so it's great that those things are happening and that, and that they can happen more but that's not the point of meditation yeah. I would say or I would at least think that the point of meditation if you can really even say it has a point would be to just have that open awareness and yeah. so that's kind of when I started and when I got at least more serious for me. Yeah. So that's when it started to get more serious for you. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like were things that you did in your day-to-day -day that really started to help you then apply, right? Because you're, you're serious, you know it's something that you want to do, you might recognize it's something that you need, 
but when did you really start to take action? And then what did that action look like to start to build? I know mindfulness is technically what we're talking about, but yeah. I try to think of it as a, an application of awareness. Like when did you start to, do you think, put things or implement things in your day to day that allowed you to make that, to make mindfulness be something that could be a part yeah. of your life more regularly? I would say adopting it as a formal practice, something that I try and do every day where I sit down and do mm -hmm. formal meditation in that sense, right? So when I say formal, I mean you're sitting down, whether it's on a cushion or a pillow and whatnot. That's more of that formal practice. But, or yeah, so that along with then realizing that you can have informal practice, which is moments throughout the day that you experience either with others or with yourself and in any environment, knowing that mindfulness could still be present in that, in that situation was, was something that allowed me to practice it a lot more and I think really benefit from it. Kind of realizing like, hey, I can sit down and I can do a formal mindfulness practice, but my mindfulness and insight doesn't have to stop there, right? Yeah. And one of my favorite things actually has also been learning different types of mindfulness from different teachers in different backgrounds. So. Things like Sam Harris, which I'd say is probably a little bit more of like a Vipassana. Well, he teaches a lot of them, but maybe most common would be like Vipassana, paying attention to your body sensations and sounds and more of that objective awareness. Yeah. And then he also teaches a lot of Dzogchen, which is kind of like the pointing out exercise, which is your gaining awareness and awareness. And, but the thing I like so much about his app, and again, all bringing it back to what has allowed me to do this the most, was then learning from others such as Richard Lang, who kind of leads the whole idea of teaching the having no head practice, or Mingyur Rinpoche, who leads a lot of the, I think he's one of the more head-like Tibetan Buddhist uh, monks, and I forget, there's a certain term for, for his place in that community, I forget what it's called, uh, and then uh, Locke Kelly, who teaches a lot of uh, different that's a little bit more of a different type of mindfulness. That's when we start to get into stuff like, hey, you have an awareness of awareness. But they've all been able to really build and complement one another. And I think that for anyone that's listening, if you haven't tried mindfulness before, know that there's something out there that's going to benefit you. And if you have tried mindfulness before, but maybe you've struggled with it or it's been something that you don't know if it's worth investing more in, I can for sure say from my personal experience that it is. But ultimately... You know, like I said earlier, and I heard this from Sam Harris, your mind is what you carry with you every day, all the time. So it's worth investing in something that is going to allow you to be more present with it. Mm -hmm. Damn. That's pretty good. What about you? <laughs> I think, for me, to what you just said, your mind is everything you carry with you, right? Your experiences, everything that's in your head. And our dog is not pictured, but is being a wild man. Just <laughs> moving all around. So we're being mindful in our, in our handlings with him right now. You know, like you said, right? Your mind is everything that you carry with you and all of those experiences. The quote, formal practice, end quote of mindfulness has always been my least favorite mm -hmm. and the hardest part for me. Because when we from my personal experience and everyone's is going to be different. Having experienced, I think, the trauma 
that I had, but also not, but also the kind of trauma that it was. I, you know, for me, there were other feelings associated and attached to those experiences that I've lived and that I've carried in my that I carry in my head every day, right? So I found that when I started to kind of close my eyes and be, you know, and, and to try to let thoughts happen, it was an environment, it didn't feel good for me. It felt really overwhelming and I was seeing or hearing things that obviously I didn't want to see or hear, but were things that had intentionally been locked inside because of other reasons, right? So I think what I liked so much about Sam Harris and, and then getting into that Waking Up app was that there were so many different avenues and different ways to start to unlock the right kind of mindfulness for you. And I really appreciated that there were other options for me, right? That it didn't just need to be an, an unguided meditation where you just let thoughts arise in your subconscious because what if that doesn't work for you? Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that between Ming-Ne Rinpoche and Lot Kelly that there were other ways to create space for you to sit and be quiet and get introspective, but still had points of reference, right? And still had points of focus that could allow you to comfortably move in and out of your own awareness as it needed to be right for you. Um, I think for me though too, getting into Sam Harris and really reading about it, the first step of finding, I think, my road to mindfulness, which I would argue you're a little bit further along than I am, which is not a bad thing, right? We're all in different spots, was the interviews that Sam Harris would do with different practitioners within mindfulness and meditation, right? Um, and that gave me a different insight and perspective that, okay, there's another avenue for me out there. And I think getting the opportunity to hear people talk about stuff just ultimately gave me different resources. Um, and I think led me to talk more about what I needed and what I was looking for for mindfulness with you mm -hmm. and with people in my community. And I think that's kind of how I started the application. I for sure do once a day, at least five minutes of self mindfulness. Sometimes it's guided on the Sam Harris apps, right? And then other times it's three things you can hear and two things you can see and one thing you can smell. Um, but I think it's definitely evolving. Most recently, the thing that's really helping me apply a little bit more structure to mindfulness, bless you, love, bless you, <laughs> has been something, has been trauma-sensitive mindfulness. Mm -hmm. That's also working for me because it's, kind of specific to my unique experience, right? When I think back to like when I would try to go to yoga and meditations, I would tell myself and some of my close friends, I don't have time. Like I'm, I'm working all day, I'm moving around all day. The last thing I wanna do, Becky, is lay down on a mat for 60 minutes and just get stuck in my head because that's kind of how I viewed it and pictured it. And trauma-sensitive mindfulness, and that book was written by David Trulevin, is a resource that I got through waking up. Mm -hmm. And I listened to this amazing interview and he talked essentially about the pitfalls that someone potentially has experienced trauma, regardless of the type, and trauma is vast and there's, I mean, right, it's huge, it's its own subject. 
um, how potentially certain types of approaches to mindfulness or to meditations could potentially be negative for someone that's experienced trauma. And that, that's been about a couple, what, a couple weeks. I haven't mm-hmm. had the book that long and I've been able to finish it. That has what, is what's changed the game for me. Which, when I think back to the yoga classes I have been to, I think one of the best, some of the best ones I've ever been to, and most notably one of the best classes I went to is I got to go to um, an, uh, an iRest class by Annie Oakland, and mm-hmm. she was hosting it for veterans. And I knew that Annie was, right, Annie has worked with veterans, and she started Exalted Warrior Foundation and has owned her own studio and sold that to other people, so she's like way more credited than I am able to give her credit right now, but it was such a different class and also so unlike anything that I had been able to find that it felt so good, and that was one of the only times I had ever left a yoga class or any type of meditation or mindfulness and actually felt re-energized from it. And now that I've read this trauma-sensitive mindfulness book, like mm-hmm. I have so much more of an appreciation for her and what she's been able to do. And so I would say now, like even though a year ago I got started, I think now, now is really when I've been able to formulate more of a practice because I know what to ask for. And then I know how to communicate like what I need in relation to how my experience is affecting my moments of solitude as it relates to mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And I think that that's a good piece to kind of talk <clears throat> even more about that a lot of people might not realize, which is that trauma-sensitive mindfulness. And kind of like speaking to how you said, you know, that book is a great resource for someone that is concerned about when they try and perform mindfulness. So if you're a person that maybe you practice mindfulness, but it just feels, you know, wrong or kind of negative, besides the book, there's likely plenty of people, or at least plenty of practitioners, I should say, in your community that are either psychologists or psychiatrists that are potentially well-versed in the idea of mindfulness and might be able to help you out. So that's a local resource besides a book that is worth looking into. And again, just kind of following that whole idea of it's your mind, it's with you all the time. It's worth investing more in it than probably most other things that we invest our attention in, right? And I think that that might be maybe a bit of a good segue to talk about a little bit more of mindfulness in the sense of kind of like it's all that we really have to give, right? And we had mentioned maybe in the first podcast uh, something from Mingyur Rinpoche where it's like, hey, you can have a watch, but if you don't realize it's a watch, it can't perform its purpose, which is to tell time. And so mindfulness is kind of the same way in the sense of awareness where if you are not aware of, of your awareness, and that's kind of like saying it twice, but if you're not aware of your awareness or what's taking it or where it's being given to by you, then it can't really perform its purpose very well, uh, which at least would be to have that idea of kind of like that open sensation, kind of boundless uh, feeling of that awareness. Yes, and I think even too, like you said, if you, a watch can't, do its job of telling time if you don't know it's a watch. Well, even mm-hmm. another layer of that is you have to do more than just know you're wearing a watch. You have to look at it, Yeah. right? So how do you, when you start to experience 
something, whether it's a memory or a thought kind of just pops into your brain, it's one thing to know that it's there. It's an, and then it's this, I think it's this next step to that is, okay, so look at it. Yeah. Right? Like, how are you really looking at what's coming up and not trying to push it away, mm -hmm. but let it show up, right? Give it the attention that it deserves and then letting it go. Yeah. And ultimately, right, I think we have to decide of, of all of those things that pop up and all those things that we look at, what's worth actioning on and then mm -hmm. what's worth just simply noting that the aware, being aware of what you're experiencing is going to be a lesson in itself. And I think that, you know, as we've started to pay more attention to, right, when I say mindfulness, like separate, even separate from the time that we're taking to sit down and, and go through a guided meditation, I think that application of being mindful of your attention, like mm -hmm. what are you paying attention to, right? Because you have that inner dialogue of what you're paying attention to, we all do. I have to do this, and I have to call this person, I have this errand to run, I have, right, you have your kids you're looking after, family, but then also what are you paying attention to beyond that internal dialogue, mm -hmm. because to your point, it's all that you can give. So in the time that we're spending together, I think that's a difference and a shift. I think we felt even relating from the last episode that we just did was, mm -hmm. right, we're mindful of how much attention are we giving our phones versus the attention we're giving to each other, mm -hmm. or how much attention are we giving to, um, right, something that's bothering us or a negative interaction we had like with another driver or just like a person on the street versus those little moments that we're spending with our pets and how even that I think in itself, even if it's all you can afford to do in the beginning, I think will have a huge benefit, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. And to give like a quick example or, or you know, two and, and building off your, your phone one in a second, I was walking down to at the front of our um, gate to pick up a package and you know was thinking about different things with work I had to do and what I was going to do next and then all of a sudden you know trying to be mindful I was suddenly aware that I was giving all of my attention to what was going on in the future and I feel like a lot of people probably do the past or the future and they get caught up in it but that's where my awareness had been but it wasn't in the present and as soon as I was able to be mindful you know, I had noticed what the, because I wasn't wearing shoes, I had noticed what the dirt felt like on my feet. And it was, all of a sudden, I realized it was actually, you know, a little bit, like, windy, like there was a breeze going on, and the sunlight was hitting my face. And talking about, again, kind of how the context pops up, like, sure, it made me feel very calm and very present and, and pretty happy, but the, but the point of it was that I was able to know that my awareness was being taken and kind of to be centered back. And the same thing most commonly would apply when people are kind of having thoughts and they are trying to practice mindfulness and maybe they think like, hey, I need to stop thinking. That is for sure not the, not, <laughs> yeah. not the point, right? It's Recipe more, for failure. Right? It's more about being able to recognize that you've been taken by distraction and being able to recognize that maybe you are identifying with the thoughts that were going on and having that ability to stop and take a second and kind of come back and a, and a second example to that would be, you know, I previously had been on my phone quite a bit when we would maybe eat dinner or we would both be like watching TV while we eat or spend time together. 
and we didn't realize that even though we were with one another, which is is nice to do sometimes when we're watching a movie or or uh, doing some work on our phones, it was really missing out on the opportunity to spend the time with each other and enjoy the experience of eating food with each other, right? Like how many people sit down, enjoy the experience of savoring what hopefully they've cooked with someone that they care about or with others that they care about. Well, at least in this case, keep social distancing. Don't be with many people, but <laughs> but a lot of people probably don't have that, and it just kind of accumulates to where we get caught up so much. And I think that an example of something that might be beneficial when it comes to mindfulness, and I think this is part of the Zogchen teaching, I think is part of the Tibetan Buddhism, but it's the pointing out exercise. And the idea is, and this might be something that if you've been meditating for a while, might make more sense. And if you're just starting out, you'll probably want to start with just focusing on your breathing and what that sensation feels like. But the pointing out exercise is kind of, you're paying attention to awareness and what that kind of base level feels like. And then it's the idea of you send your awareness out into the room and it turns back and looks at you and it's kind of like, where's that seat of attention coming from? Mm -hmm. Or another point would be, you know, who is the thinker of the thoughts? You know, are you seeing or is there an experience of sight? Are you hearing or, is, or are you the one hearing or is there an experience of sound? And when you do that, that's when, at least in my personal experience, there was kind of that open awareness that happened. And really, it's hard to, for, for anyone that tries any of these things that we're, you know, talking about, it's really kind of hard to put, at least for me personally, currently into words, the certain sensations and feelings because it's a, it's a personal experience, yet because so many people have shared it, you know that it's common amongst pretty much everybody. of I think what's cool about what I mean I think everything that you said was very cool because you're a very cool guy <laughs> however in addition to all those things you're not going to stop thinking right? right like no one it doesn't make sense to want to stop thinking either right so because I mean I think about stimulus right like if you have a, a ton of stimulus and you're having an emotional arousal to that that could be positive and negative that could be you have had some type of stimulus where it's really got you excited and thinking and ideas are flowing and right and that leads to some cool creative process or some new right, business or maybe a blog or whatever it is that that's giving you a clear benefit and, and that can be really exciting the same i think can be said for negative stimuli right like you've mm -hmm. had a lot of emotional arousal and a lot of stimulus and you're upset and you're angry and you're thinking about a variety of things. Like I don't think, I don't think anyone listening should think, because I used to think when I started, like I'm, tr I'm trying to, okay, I'm really trying to make sure I pay attention and practice mindfulness. And then, right, I would mm -hmm. wake up, check my email, see an email, immediately see an action item that I need to deal with, and that causes an emotional arousal and I feel overwhelmed and like oh, I need to, I need to action on this. And then later. And by later, I mean just a few minutes later. I feel disappointed in myself that mm -hmm. I didn't practice. Ugh, I didn't practice enough mindfulness, right? And I think it's important to separate. I think it's important to separate and distinguish between 
the journey I think that it can take to really find moments of guided or unguided meditation to really feel like they're benefiting you mm -hmm. versus those really that basic step of just paying attention because I think in the beginning when those things would happen I'd walk away from an emotional arousal thinking man I failed I didn't do this thing right but really the act of me even being aware of how my feelings impacted me and being able to talk about it in itself was its own really cool right. thing that has helped build to mindfulness because I'm type A and I'm always going to be probably type A and I'm always going to want to take action and, and do really well and do a good job and, and you know even though I kind of don't I want everyone to like me all these things those things may never change but I know those things about me and I know those going into situations and I'm just more aware mm -hmm. of those things so I think that would be my big thing is you're gonna you're, you're gonna fail at everything that you do well, at least once or twice and I think with mindfulness it's not um, and being aware of your feelings and how those things are and your how your thoughts are affecting your feelings I don't think is a win-lose game I think that any experience with it there's gonna be a win so I would just say be mindful of that mm -hmm. that you know if someone cuts you off and you yell at them like you're not losing but if you know that that emotional arousal potentially right could take away time right and it can take away that precious thing that you have which is your own the time that you're spending thinking about it because you could be giving that to someone else mm -hmm. that's the win is being yes. aware yeah when you're talking about thoughts i absolutely agree like there's a necessity for thoughts heck yeah right like <laughs> You're going to have them and you need to have them. Yeah. So I do think it's important for people to, like you said, have that ability to be aware of kind of the, the context of the situation that they're in. And even though there might not be, like I said earlier, a goal behind doing like a, a formal practice, a benefit of it is you're able to become aware, like you said, of I did an email, I felt bad later that I wasn't being mindful but the point that you were then right afterwards aware of it is so beneficial. And when you're able to become aware of thoughts coming and going and emotions coming and going, I think that's probably where I had one of my, my first big personal breakthroughs was that realization in you know, thoughts are constantly coming and going and emotions are constantly coming and going. Mm -hmm. And that recognition that they're coming and going helps you realize that they, you know, they're not necessarily something that you as an I have to identify with. Yeah. And so it makes it easier to just go through the, uh, to, to go through the experience, right? An example would be you're, and this is an example in the waking up book, you're upset and you're angry and something's going on and all of a sudden you get a phone call from a loved one that you've been expecting to hear good news from and all of a sudden, you're no longer angry. You answer the phone, it's the good news, and then when you hang up, you're back to being angry, right? Mm -hmm. Well, part of being mindful is the recognition of you were aware that that emotion stopped and then came back, or, or stopped and then came back as quickly as it began. And when you don't identify with maybe, let's say, the person cut you off, right? When you don't identify with, with that emotion and that thought and realize that it's just an appearance for you, it makes it much easier to, again, 
decide where you're going to give your awareness. Mm -hmm. Because if you're angry at the other person that you're screaming at, you might be missing on giving your awareness to driving or, in, or to the person that um, you're in the car with. So I think that you brought up some really good points there with kind of the necessity of thought and recognizing the context and the contents uh, of, the, of the situation that you're in when you're being mindful. I think another thing that could potentially help people out would be when you're feeling happy, when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling angry, it helps to pay attention to where the sensation of that feeling is coming from, right? And begin there, and then as you get better at doing that and recognizing that, one of the things that I learned from that was I became much better at telling the differences between certain feelings. Mm -hmm. So I could tell the difference between happiness and joy. I could tell the difference between upset, sad, and angry. I could tell the difference between being... Uh, you know, someone that might be confused or uncertain and kind of the differences in all of those emotions. And that really helped me communicate how I was feeling better to whomever I was involved in that conversation with when those emotions were appearing. And once you get better at identifying the sensation and what the emotion feels like and where it's coming from, I think a next step would then to be, well, where is the awareness of that emotion coming from. Mm -hmm. For most of us, it's probably coming from our head, most likely like behind the eyes because we identify with our sight so much, right? Needed to survive. But when you realize then, okay, hey, I'm paying attention to my emotions and then I'm paying attention to where that awareness is coming from and then another step after that, kind of peeling away the layers of the onion would be, well, what, well, what is aware of the awareness? When you're able to do those things and build upon your mindfulness, it, it ultimately just continually comes back to what you and I have been saying where you just get to decide where your attention goes and it doesn't get taken from you from things that are distractions, whether it be thoughts or situations that provoke certain emotions that maybe we hold on to so tightly immediately, whether that's anger. I feel like most of the time it's probably like negative emotions, right? Where it's anger or sadness or, you know, discontent or, any, or, or whatever it might be. But... And I know that you and I, when we first, after we'd been dating for a little bit, we'd been going through a lot of mindfulness stuff together. And I think it's something that really, it really benefited us both was it made us realize a lot of things. And it took time, right? I feel like our subconscious was working, but it took time to realize how we had identified so strongly with certain thoughts about certain topics and certain emotions about certain situ situations and certain things. And only after we kind of had those a couple aha moments along the way where we really able to understand the impact that mindfulness had in our lives. Yes, and I think that we were also, we were paying more attention to our own thoughts, but we also were paying more attention to each other. And mm -hmm. I, I mean that beyond that, you know, that cute, like cutesy, oh, you're the best and we love each other, like <laughs> kind of way. But yeah. I mean that in exactly the way in which I said it is. We were paying more attention to one another. And I think that that was also practice, right? Is you have a full day, I have a full day. You know, we go from de-stressing to we're cooking dinner in the kitchen and listening to music. And then we're on our phones and eating 
while we're like maybe watching a show but also kind of like scrolling on our phones because that's okay like mm -hmm. that's not a big deal a lot of people do it and making the shift of okay hey we want to pay more attention not just to each other but to what it is that we're doing right here because our time in the evenings may have been spent with one another but that time still belonged to us and then when we made that shift of okay we're going to eat dinner we're going to cook dinner and we're going to eat dinner we're not going to have our phones out I think opened the door to being able to recognize some of those same emotions in one another. And I think that gave us as well some accountability and in that partnership, right? Of, you know, I know that when we were going through some of that reoccurrence stuff, even then, if I seemed overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. You had paid attention to that own feeling on your own, right? and how it related to you that you were able to say, hey, how are, should we meditate? Or should we take some deep breaths, mm -hmm. right? And you practicing doing that on your own and then just paying more attention in general, I think helps make the practice easier and helps us learn. Yeah. As we, you know, and, that, and I feel that, I feel that too in the experience that we're in now is, hey, I'm feeling something and I need to pay closer attention to what it is so I can really figure it out. Um, and I think that for me it was just practicing. Like we just we legitimately practice paying attention because it's, I mean, that's what we have, right? Like mm -hmm. our awareness is really all that we have to give to not just each other but others. And I think when we started doing that and then communicating our intention, like, hey, this is my intention and I want to do this, can you help? Um, support along the way I think that that made made a huge difference and and had a huge impact as well so if you were to give some suggestions other than hey just practice mindfulness what do you think they could be and to give just a brief example I would say hey practicing mindfulness in a, in a formal way is great mm -hmm. but in addition to that I would say start to dabble in a little bit of digital minimalism, such as in the morning, don't get on your phone until a certain time that you set, and in the evening, get off your phone after a certain time where you're doing absolutely nothing. And so what is some other things that you maybe think, based on experiences that you and I have had, that, that other people could try that might benefit them? Because I feel like we practiced that formal mindfulness, but then there were other things that we did that really were mm -hmm. kind of, you know, things that cumulatively added on to yeah. more and more benefit. Ooh. First, I would say start with why mm -hmm. and ask why five more times. Why do you want to practice mindfulness? I want better, I want to feel better about my, how I, whatever it is, right? How I feel about my body or want to have more quality time with my family. Okay, why? Like, why do you need mindfulness to help you with that? I think ask why five times to really narrow in what it is you specifically want from mindfulness. And I think that that will help get you started because my why is going to be, ultimately I think the end is better quality of life. But ask why five times. I think that will give you a good idea of really where you should start. Once I started asking why, that really clearly led me to I need trauma-informed mindfulness, and that's really made that easier for me. So ask why five times, 
And the second thing I would say would be keep it simple and notate what you're grateful for every day. It can be in the morning or in the evening, and it can even be in the mornings you write what you were grateful for yesterday, or immediately you write what you're grateful for in that day. I think that those two things, even though they're super simple, because we could go on about book recommendations and all sorts of stuff, I think you have to really know why you're doing it and what you want to get from it. And asking why five times will help get you there. And I never think it's a bad idea to take stock in what you're grateful for, even if it's as simple as a walk or a pair of shoes that you bought. Like, there's, it's, there's nothing to be embarrassed about whatever it is that you're grateful for. And once you have started doing those two things, don't share them with anyone for at least two months. Like, protect the space that you're making for yourself to really go inward, to make it really special for you. And those would be mine. Damn, babe. You like those? I like those, those are good. <laughs> I'm glad you do. I feel like it made up for my beginning rambling in the beginning of this. I'm like, what, what am I gonna find out two months from now? What am I making? <laughs> Trauma-informed mindfulness. That's, that's what right. You've gone down. I'm gonna learn all about it. Uh, I, I guess for me, it would be for sure the digital minimalism. Simplest um, way to start off is just don't use your phone after a certain period of time damn, at I night, have said that one. and don't use your phone after before a certain period in the morning. Definitely do not start with work. Do not look at your phone. Your phone first thing when you're in bed. Okay, break out that talk forever ago. It's been a great benefit. Which, look, I totally got on my email first thing in the morning. You were getting after that, Graham. Yeah, I was. I was on the Instagram. So, another thing that I would say would be we've posted games on our uh, social media, so I think that in this moment I notice game has been really great, which, for those of you who are listening who haven't tried it, you just, all it takes is two people. You look at each other and you say, in this moment I notice. Well, one of you goes, right? You say, in this moment I notice. Say whatever it is you're noticing. There really is no wrong answer. And then the other person says thank you, and then they say what they notice. And if you go through that for two or three minutes, you'll really start to realize all these things you're aware of, and it will kind of bring your life into HD and make you, you feel really aware. Maybe I should say 4K. That's probably more. It makes me cry every time yeah. we do this. Yes. So that would be something to do that would bring you in the present moment with your mind, to bring you into attention with your body, I would say would be the mirroring game. And so kind of going two games in a row. So the mirroring game is where you and you know, a friend or a loved one stand in front of one another. And one, of those, one is the leader and you switch after a few minutes and you mirror the movement that the other person is doing. Or you mirror what they're saying, which they'll say slowly and with very obvious facial expressions. And besides it being fun, it really brings you in tune with your body. And then the last one I'll say, the third and final one, or I guess the fourth and final one, would be practicing some degree of stoicism. I feel like stoics get a bad rap as people who don't care about anything and constantly just try and avoid any emotion. But through what I've been able to learn through authors like William B. Irving, and I forget the guy's name, but whoever leads the Daily Stoic, uh, Ryan Holiday, as I think is his name, stoics, their goal is to live a good life, which is filled with happiness and joy and they might seem negative, but when you really dig deeper, you start to realize all the great things. So going off of your gratitude mm -hmm. exercises, right? They practice negative visual visualizations like, you know, hey, what if 
you know, this loved one of mine died. Yeah. Right? Well, it, it makes you think about it, but it also makes you really appreciative of the current moments and the moments that you've had with them. So kind of not taking life for granted, if that were to happen at any moment in time, which it technically could, it makes you not want to waste any moments that you have with them, and it yeah. forces you into the present. And another thing that they do, which I learned through the book, A Guide to the Good Life from William B. Irving, and we'll list all of our books in the description, was the idea of the trichotomy of control. Because I think a lot of us focus on what we can't control. So there's what you have total control over, what you have no control over, and what you have some control over. And just to give a brief example, you have total control over whether you're going to look at your phone or not in the bed in the morning. Regardless if you're getting blown up with notifications, you have control. You can turn that thing off. What you have no control over is the sun rising or what the weather is going to be or that person who cut you off while you were driving, right? Yeah. So there's no reason to worry about the things because you have no control over it. Yeah. And what you do have some control over, they give the example in the book of playing a tennis match. And when you're playing tennis, you have no control over what the other person is going to do. The only influence you have on winning is the effort that you put into your training. Yeah. And so I think that that applies to a lot of different areas in our lives and we can kind of ask ourselves like go about your day and self-assess and be like do I have complete control over this yeah. do I have no control or do I have some control mm -hmm. and I think when you ask yourself those things it makes you much more aware and then it kind of kind of leads to the idea which we can talk about another time where I think it's called a mori fati which is a love of fate mm -hmm. right like you love everything that happens because that is what's going on in life and that's not to say you should be complacent if what's happening in your life is a bad thing or a perceived bad thing but it's kind of like a, there's no reason to dwell, and instead you can either appreciate if it's a good thing or if it's a bad thing, you can take action. Yeah. But that's the control that you have over taking action. Yeah. And so I think that those are a few things that people can do to kind of practice or, or benefit the mindfulness practice that they may be doing formally or informally. Heck yeah. I think that's pretty good, babe. I think so too. Woo. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll list all of the books uh, that we talked about today as well as any other books that we think might be beneficial uh, for um, you know, anything mindfulness related. And when in doubt, consult a professional. Talk to a psychologist, <laughs> yes. talk to a psychiatrist. Yeah. Right? It can kind of be weird when it comes to gurus. We don't want you going off and joining a cult somewhere, you know, having a charismatic leader. But if you're uncertain, when in doubt, there's people out there that are leaders in the psychology and psychiatry community that have a background in mindfulness, whether that be someone that you can contact online or in person. So yeah. your mind is worth investing in, and that's all I really got to say. Heck yeah. Thanks for being part of the Sweet and Sour Live. Thanks, y'all. Sweet and Sour. Sign off. Boom. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>